The scripture I would like to read for today's prepared message is out of Lamentations chapter 3. Now, Lamentations is a, a book in the Bible that's small. It's at the very end of Jeremiah in the Old Testament. And it really comes from the word lament. And lament uh, means, in essence, to grieve. Lament, uh, in essence, means to have sorrow. And this uh, book of the Bible is connected to Jer Jeremiah, but ultimately connected to uh, the, Babel, uh, the Israelites being in exile in Babylon in around 586 B.C. Um, and in that period, in that time, uh, they were in great distress, in, in great grief, and in great sorrow, because they had literally been taken away from their own homeland, uh, Jerusalem. They'd been removed from everything that was familiar to them. And here they were in this season of their life um, in which everything felt disorienting and everything felt um, at a loss. So Lamentations chapter 3, I'm going to begin with verse 20. And this is out of the New Living Translation. I will never forget this awful time as I grieve over my loss. And yet I still dare to hope when I remember this. The unfailing love of the Lord never ends. And by his mercies we have been kept from complete destruction. Great is his faithfulness. His mercies begin afresh each day. And I say to myself, the Lord is my inheritance. And therefore I will hope in him. The Lord is wonderfully good to those who wait for him and seek him. And so it is good to wait quietly for salvation from the Lord. Some of you may recall a few years ago, um, the time I had a concussion. I was pitching batting practice uh, for Chad's uh, junior, junior Legion team, and I took a line drive right to the head. Now, I don't remember getting hit. I just remember waking up and sort of looking around in a daze while some of the guys were standing around me asking, you okay, coach? And eventually, Linda took me to the emergency room, and I was diagnosed with a slight concussion. But even with this slight concussion, I was in a fog for about a couple weeks. Now, I'm no doctor, but if you look it up, a concussion is, medically speaking, just basically a traumatic brain injury that affects brain function. And in my case, I was foggy. I zoned out, as they say. There are a few times I couldn't remember if I'd stopped at a four-way stop as I drove on down the road. I quickly recovered, and there weren't any lingering effects. And, and trust me, I, I know when I stop at four-way stops now, so if you ever ride with me, you don't have to worry. But in this case, a concussion occurred when my head got hit hard, and in my case, by a baseball off a bat. Now, this hard hit created this trauma. And this trauma is easy, in some sense, to diagnose and see because of medical equipment and medical doctors. But trauma can also occur when life hits us hard, and we take a few blows from life. And what's difficult is recognizing this kind of trauma. A concussion, as I said, it's easier to recognize because you can see it. I had a CAT scan that night at the emergency room, and they could diagnose it. But how do you identify, how do you name, how do you diagnose what I would call trauma of the soul? I want to just unpack a few terms here. So there's what's called psychological trauma. Now, in psychological trauma, what happens is that it violates the familiar ideals and expectations about 
the world of an individual or a society. We feel that we've been plunged into a state of confusion and uncertainty, more or less what we feel right now. And then furthermore, these traumatic events, they impair our ability to grasp or cope with what's happening, which can lead to challenges, sadness or grief, pain, sometimes panic, confusion, despair, anxiety, depression, and even more um, manifestations. One person described uh, trauma this way, quote, traumatic events are extraordinary, not because they occur rarely, but because they overwhelm the ordinary human adaptations to life. And what happens is our nervous systems literally become overwhelmed in trying to process all of this experience, which can then lead to other unexpected and sometimes undesired difficulties. Now, I bring this up only because I feel that we're in the midst of a traumatic season. And these traumatic seasons can lead to mental health challenges. And there have been more than just one or two articles that have come out recently about some of those challenges that we're facing now. Maybe you're facing it. Some of the challenges that we're going to be facing uh, in the next few weeks, in the next few months. By definition, the pandemic which we're in is considered a crisis, and it turn can be traumatizing, both for those directly exposed and for those indirectly exposed to the consequences. And when I mean indirectly exposed, I mean such things as loss of job or a sense of chaos or anxiousness and frustration or uh, other kinds of losses, which we'll talk about in a few moments. We go a little bit deeper. One writer describes trauma this way, as the shaking of a soul. It's something that shakes us out of the ordinary flow and out of our usual sense of time into this extraordinary state. Trauma is this soul-shaking experience that ruptures the continuity of our lives and it tosses us into this whole alternate existence. Now, I know that's a lot of words and that's a lot of definitions. But I want you to hang on to this one, and that is this, that trauma is this shaking of a soul. In his book, The Wild Edge of Sorrow, writer and therapist Francis Weller describes trauma this way, quote, trauma always carries grief, though not every grief carries trauma. And therefore, grief work is a primary ingredient in the resolution of trauma. It's really been my contention, folks, that part of what we're going through right now and maybe part of what we're feeling, and maybe we don't even know it, it's because we've never been through it, is we're feeling some sense of trauma. We're feeling some sense of grief. And sometimes grief is really hard to identify. Sometimes grief is really hard to name. We just have these feelings around it. Now, what does this have to do with the writer of Lamentations? Well, I think the writer of Lamentations certainly may not have had a concussion but they know a bit about the experience of life hitting them hard. The trauma of being dealt a very severe blow, of being completely dislocated from where they lived. As I said after I read the scripture, they had been completely moved from Jerusalem, relocated to a foreign land, Babylon. And now they felt lost. Now they felt disoriented. And now they felt confused and shaken, filled with grief. And the writer described their experience this way, quote, I will never forget this awful time as I grieve over my loss. Now, for this person, this wasn't just a brief moment in time. This was this experience which lingered in their soul long after it was over. 
what over looks like. It was embedded in their memory, all the feelings, all the fears, all the anxiousness. It was a grief. It's this shaking of the soul. And I think that's often what we feel or may feel, that we'll have these moments, these experienced, even this moment, that will linger in our soul for a long time. Whatever over looks like when this is over, we'll feel this shaking of the soul and we'll look back and possibly even say, I will never forget that awful time. And like I said in Lamentations, maybe we feel what they feel and maybe they feel what we feel. Maybe we'll say to ourselves, I won't forget this time as I grieve over my loss. We'll maybe be saying a few years from now, remember what we did during the pandemic or remember how that was or remember how that happened or we'll remember what didn't happen because of the pandemic. And this is where the losses come into play. And maybe there's still losses we're going to be grieving for some time. There's the loss of a friend or the loss of a family member. There's the loss of employment or there's the loss of income. There's the loss of saying goodbye to friends if we've had to leave school early. I saw some of that on social media this past week. Uh, school being canceled for the rest of the year. Young people not being able to say goodbye to their friends. There's a loss of a milestone like walking graduation or going to prom, the loss of a special event planned like a birthday party or a wedding or a special trip for an anniversary. Sometimes there's losses that we can't even name and there's losses that don't even have anything to do with the pandemic, but they're losses nonetheless and they get exacerbated and somehow we feel them more just because we feel isolated and we feel alone and we feel disconnected. And in your experience, maybe you'll know these words firsthand of lamentations. I will never forget this awful time as I grieve over my loss. And if I want us to catch anything, I want us to catch this, that it's okay to feel that this feels awful for us at times. It's okay to grieve. It's, it's okay to know that this has been traumatic for us. I think when I think of grief, I I go to what has often been called the five stages of grief. This was a book written by Elizabeth Kubler-Ross and David Kessler years ago. And in these five stages of grief, they identify these, these, this, this process that people go through, uh, first entering denial, and then to enter into this stage of bar, uh, anger, and then into bargaining, which really was a way to kind of control outcomes and control life, and, and, then, um, and then on to a stage of depression and then on to a stage of acceptance. Now, these don't happen in a linear fashion or a certain timeline. A person may spend a longer or shorter time, amounts of time at each stage, but in some way, shape, or form, these stages are manifested as a person goes through grief. In denial, they may say that this isn't happening to me or, or I can't believe this is, this is going to happen. When there's anger, there's anger over uh, uh, of it happening or, or we get angry over somebody even passing away or we get anger over maybe... We could have done something differently. And in bargaining, we actually try to control those outcomes. And sometimes even in our prayers, we bargain. God, if you'll just take this away, I will do such and such. Or if you'll just make this better. And then there's that stage of depression where we realize that things aren't necessarily going to change. That maybe there is, as we've often heard, a new normal. And in that new normal, uh, we aren't sure we can cope with it right now. And then there's that slow moving into acceptance. I've even applied these five stages of grief to this pandemic. And in some way, I looked at myself and I said, you know, I kind of experienced this at times. Um, there was this denial. This isn't happening. It's not going to affect us. It's all going to be over soon. 
And then I began to realize that there was some anger involved. I can't believe this is happening. And I've even seen anger in our own country, anger in our own community at times, people who are angry at government, people who are angry at leadership, at other countries, at other people who won't cooperate with the plan. There's this, there's this sort of free-floating anger that's out there. Then there's bargaining, and I realize that sometimes in bargaining I'll say, okay, well, maybe this will be over by such and such a time, and when it's over by such and such a time, we're going to do this, and if it's at this level, we can do this, and I'm trying to bargain with, with the facts. But sometimes that just doesn't work out. And then there's this depression, this realization that uh, maybe some things aren't just going to be, this realization that there's a loss of a vision or a loss of a dream or there's this loss of something that we thought was going to happen isn't going to happen or this loss of what we've often called normal, and we're changing, and we're going into this new normal. It's not going to be, and it won't be like it was, and it's not going to happen. And then at some point, you live into this acceptance, into this reality of life as it is, and as it's going to be for the near future. And I need to say this. Acceptance is not acquiescence. Acceptance is, in many ways, this courageous adapting to what might be called this new normal. Uh, David Kessler, uh, interestingly enough, has come out with a new book uh, to add one more stage to this grief. And he's added uh, another stage, number six, called Finding Meaning. And his contention is that we really don't complete this, if you will. We really don't work through this sense of loss, this trauma, and this grief until we simply find meaning in all of this. And that takes time, and that takes patience, and that takes waiting. I've been reading um, uh, a book recently by Rabbi Harold Kushner, who wrote uh, the book years ago, uh, Why Bad Things Happen to Good People. And one of the things he had to say is this, suffering in and of itself is meaningless. We give our suffering meaning by the way in which we respond to it. Now, I know that seems easy in print, but I think he's really onto something, that we really do give our suffering and our trauma meaning by how we respond to it. And this is where I go back to the book of Lamentations and how they responded to their own trauma and how they responded to their own grief. And what was it that enabled this writer of Lamentations to live into the present and forward into the future? Again, hear the words of our scripture text. Yet, I still dare to hope. And when I remember this, the faithful love of the Lord never ends. His mercies never cease. Great is his faithfulness. His mercies begin afresh each morning. Literally, each day is this new and fresh experience of God's mercy and faithfulness. And this, this means God's mercy is in real time. God's faithfulness is in real time. They never get used up. Creation never runs out of God's lo love, of God's mercy, and God's faithfulness. As sure as the sun will rise tomorrow, it will be a new day. And God's mercy and faithfulness will be available to us even as we live in this midst of this season that, as we've said, shakes our soul. And it's because of this, the writer says, I dare to hope. Now, what is a dare? Well, a dare invites you to accept the challenge, whatever that challenge may be. I remember as a kid in Dublin, Indiana, we used to take our bicycles, we used to take stones and pile them up, and then we'd take these pieces of board, two-by-fours, and we'd make little ramps and we would dare each other to ride the bike up that ramp and to jump. And, and um, I'm almost embarrassed to say sometimes we put a friend or two uh, right there next to the ramp and would dare to see how many friends we could jump. And we each took turns lying down on the ground. Um, now it seemed rather foolish 
foolish at the time, and it probably seems foolish now, but it was this risk, this challenge that we wanted each other to take. We, we wanted to see who could go out the farthest. And this is what a dare is. It invites us to defy the odds of conventional wisdom or the naysayers. It invites you and I to live in defiance of whatever the present circumstances may be. A dare invites us to take a risk. And I got to say, to live with hope and to live in hope is to take a risk because we never completely know how the future is going to turn out. But the greater risk seems to live without hope and to be drawn into this sense of meaninglessness and hopelessness, which always finds its way down towards cynicism and ultimately despair. It's important to note that God's mercy and God's faithfulness in the Old Testament are connected with a word that means covenant. In other words, God's mercy and God's faithfulness towards you and I means that God is working on our behalf for our wholeness. God is working on our behalf for our healing, for our well-being. God is working on behalf of our world for its own wholeness and healing. And God is working on our behalf to help us find meaning in our own loss, in our own pain, in our own suffering, sometimes in our own trauma. God is working on our behalf to help us find meaning in this crazy, crazy times. In God's mercy, our grief is comforted. In God's mercy, our fears are heard. In God's mercy, our anxiousness is seen. In God's mercy, our frustration is received. In God's mercy, our sadness is turned to joy. In God's mercy, our tiredness is given strength. In God's mercy, our confusion is given clarity. In God's mercy, our meaninglessness is given meaning. And in God's mercy, our present is promised a future. I want you to listen to Eugene Peterson's paraphrase from the message as he uh, paraphrases this passage from Lamentations. There's one other thing I remember. And remembering, I keep a grip on hope. God's loyal love couldn't have run out. His merciful love couldn't have dried up. They are created new every morning. How great your faithfulness, God. I'm sticking with God. I say it over and over. He's all I've got left. God provides or God proves to be good to the person who passionately waits. God proves to be good to the person who diligently seeks. And it is a good thing to quietly hope, quietly hope for help from God. And maybe sometimes that's the best we can do during this season, is to quietly hope for help from God. Maybe the best that we can do is, as Eugene Peterson translates, is to keep a grip on hope, is to dare to hope, to say that it's okay to, to name that we have the sense of loss, the sense of grief, sometimes a sense of trauma, to know that we sometimes have to journey through it like we journey through these stages and so whatever stages we may be in or whatever that feels like to you, and that it's okay and that it's, it's, it's actually good to know that at some point God will bring meaning to us, both as individuals and as, as a faith community and maybe even as a world for us on the other side of this. But as Eugene Peterson writes, let's keep a grip on hope. Let's dare to hope as we go through this. Let's dare to love one another. And let's risk loving one another and encouraging one another and holding each other in prayer 
so that we journey through this together.